Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Hello Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. Before we begin, I want to give a special shout out to my team. Thank you, Sim, Tiffany, Sam, and the team over at Good Juju Studios, Erica England, Pepper Chambers, the hot one, and my social media team. Hello, somebody. Today on our show, we are talking to two poverty-fighting and thought-provoking leaders, Joanne Goldblum and Colleen Shaddock. They are the authors of Broke in America, Seeing, Understanding, and Ending U.S. Poverty. Please welcome Joanne. She's the CEO and founder of the National Diaper Bank Network, and Colleen, a print and radio journalist and activist. Her publication credits include the New York Times, the Washington Post, and many more. I am so glad that these two phenomenal women came together to write this very thought-provoking, piercing book. Once you read it, you will never be the same. Come on, let's go in. I mean, Broken America, Seeing, Understanding, and Ending U.S. Poverty. What motivated you both to write this type of book? Well, I'm going to let Joanne go first. Though we agree completely about poverty, we, we took different roads here. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that the crux of what motivated us is the fact that we really believe that so many U.S. Americans see poverty as a 
lack of character or a lack of motivation. And that so many of our policies really encourage that belief. And, you know, the way that Colleen and I look at things is sort of in a very, um, it's very concrete. You know, we really wanted to write something that said, being poor means you don't have enough money. And if you don't have enough money, there are clear ways to address that. And yes, there are all sorts of other things that go along with poverty. That so much of it is really so much more simple than we make it out to be. Um, Colleen, is that yeah? Is that right? Yeah. And for me, the inspiration really came very early and came from my mom. She was a waitress. She worked super hard to support us all. And I remember one night when I was very young, she was soaking her feet in Epsom salts and some blisters or calluses broke and the basin filled with blood. And I looked at that and I thought, people must not know how hard her life is or they would do something to help. So when I grow up, I'm going to write stories about people like my mom. So I became a reporter and I basically did that for a while, but there's not a lot of appetite for that in the mainstream media. Um, I had an editor reprimand me for writing too many stories about poor people. So I quit and went to work in a soup kitchen to show him and um, kept writing freelance. And in the course of all this, I met Joanne who had such a clear vision of really focusing on basic needs rather than trying to fix poor people themselves as opposed to the conditions that cause poverty. You know, I knew that the problem in our household was not that my mother wasn't working hard enough. That was not the problem. Far from it. And just having you tell that small bit of your life journey and your family story made me think about my mom, too. Definitely among the working poor, both of my parents, and they got married young and it didn't work out. So they ended up getting divorced very early in my life. There's seven children. And my mother tried really, really hard. Now, she died, unfortunately, at the young age of 42 years old. Dreams deferred, you know, just really, really hard. And I I can just really relate to what you're saying, Colleen. It wasn't a matter that either one of them did not work hard. So if that's not it, then it has to be something else. So I believe, and and I would love to hear from you both, and Joanne, maybe you want to get us started on this. I believe that poverty is a policy choice. That's what I've come to believe. And in uh, reading portions of your book, I surmise that you agree. And if poverty is a policy choice, then that means that we're not helpless to change it. We being the collective of the United States of America. So what would you, uh, Joanne, and then Colleen say to people who don't necessarily understand that poverty is a policy choice and that we do have, there is a way to make different choices? Yeah, you know, uh, Senator Turner, that is exactly right. Poverty is a policy choice. One of the things we write in the book is that poverty is not gravity, right? It is a man-made choice. And if if it's man-made, we can end it because anything that we made, we can repair. And, and I think that that's really important. 
And, you know, honestly, while I was listening to you two talk about your experiences with, um, you know, mothers working really hard, you know, I didn't grow up in that environment. And I always feel like it's important to say that because people say, well, if you've never experienced this, why do you care? And my answer is, why don't you care? Like, what could possibly be wrong with you to think that this is a situation that's acceptable? And so, you know, what we say to people who don't see it, and the reason we wrote the book the way that we did is so that, you know, we went all over the country. We talked to people from so many different backgrounds in so many different places because for those people who don't believe that poverty is a policy choice, they think, well, it's the cities or it's the rural area or it's this group or that group. We wanted to be so clear. There is no place in the United States that there is not poverty. And if it is that pervasive, it has to be a policy issue. And we tried in our stories to show the connection between people's lives and the policies that impact their lives. The goal was to make it so that people would see the direct correlation. Like, what does it mean not to have clean water? What does it mean not to have clean clothes? And how is it impacted? You know, so, so that really, I think, is what I would say. You just look at wages in this country, which have been flat for workers since the 1970s, while the cost of things like housing and health care has gone up by more than 100 percent. So how could economic inequality not be increasing? I mean, if I wanted to produce poverty in the country, I would do exactly what we're doing. I would freeze the minimum wage where it is. I wouldn't give any sort of assistance with healthcare. I'd let it be a for-profit system forever and ever and ever. I mean, we are perpetuating poverty. Yeah, we are. And so much of the American psyche is that if you are poor, it's your fault. It really is yep. this go it alone. If you're poor, it's your fault. It's the choices that you have made to cause poverty. Now, we know that sometimes people make bad choices. It's called being human. Right. But when you have, you know, and, and I've definitely somebody that I admire, and I know you both know the Reverend William Barber, the Poor People's Campaign, the 20, of 21st century version of Dr. King's work uh, before he was assassinated. That is exactly what he was working on, which is bringing poor people together from all ethnicities, racial identity, everybody, no matter how you identify together to fight against the system. And he indicted this system. He, he laid it out. He talked about the, the triple uh, evils, you know, militarism, poverty, racism, and in his, the, the bringing together of people from all walks of life who occupied the space of the poor, to, to rise up in unity and solidarity and challenge the system as it existed. And it still exists in that same form today. But what is it about the American psyche that even people who are poor often take on the characteristics, the beliefs, and will defend the multi-millionaire slash billionaire class really to their dying breath. What is it? You know, I think that it's actually baked into sort of the American dream 
this idea that anybody could be incredibly wealthy. And so I think that there's sort of this in the back of everyone's mind, you know, we always talk about like the estate tax. Why do most of us care, right? It impacts so few people, but I think everybody sort of has this little thing in the back of their mind saying, uh, maybe I'll come into a couple million dollars. Maybe that the state tax is going to work for me someday. Yes. That's sort of how I think about it. I agree. You know, unbridled capitalism has had great PR throughout our history, no doubt. But it's also all always helped by racism. You know, Indeed. racism keeps people from uniting across their comic economic interests and instead divides them and really tricks low-income white Americans into supporting policies that hurt them and supporting politicians that hurt them and blaming people who are not hurting them instead of the people who are. You know, you look at countries that have a more rational approach toward economics, people look more alike than we do here. So there isn't, it's harder to other people. We're really good at othering people and that feeds poverty. Yeah, we really are. It's the divide and conquer and it has worked mm-hmm. throughout history. And, and Colleen, your point about racism, racism, anti-blackness, you know, all of the other isms, I think, are built on that original sin of this nation. Well, two original sins still in the Native American indigenous people's land and then enslaving Africans and then their descendants and would still be doing it to this day if there was not an uprising of sorts and a, and a beating back against the status quo. But when you think about, you know, that only about 25% of white people even had enough to even a little less than that to even owns, you know, slaves, mm-hmm. that the vast majority of poor whites were impacted to the negative with chattel slavery, driving down right. wages and all kinds of things. And the fact that so many Southern whites, poor whites were willing to fight what I call the rich white man's war, Mm -hmm. the civil war to protect slavery and what they were promised, what they were given that gave them comfort, even if their bellies were grumbling and the bellies of their children was that I am white. Right. Right. It's heartbreaking that it continues and that, you know, that a book like ours is so unusual, you know, that talking about these things is so hard, you know, and and it's really one of those things that honestly, it's hard for me to wrap my head around why we've sort of created a culture that doesn't allow us to have honest conversations. You know, we had trouble actually getting to write the book we wanted to write. We kept having agents and publishers say to us, can't you like live with one family for three months and we could but then it would be about this one family and they would necessarily be either black or white or single parent or two parents or they would be whatever their demographics were and then we'd be presenting that as the face of american poverty And also people would get very caught up in their individual decisions, right? Well, you know, she shouldn't have stayed with him or whatever, instead of looking at the system. So instead, we wanted to go to communities all over the country 
and find people in the same economic bad place because the same economic bad system is pervasive. That is exactly right. And even in your foreword, uh, if I might, I want to read a little bit when you both write. The truth is poverty reflects no moral judgments. Failing to handle the basics is a failure of society before it speaks to any individual. Millions fight heroically to live, but are shamed by those with no idea how hard it is for so many to get by. We stigmatize warriors to valorize those protected from the fight. We praise so-called, quote, excellence, end quote, while downplaying the good luck it takes to achieve in America. But we turn our eyes away from the strength of those whom we barely notice. You know, when I read that part of the book, it made me think about when we were in the heat of the COVID pandemic and who did we as a nation in the world come to depend on those invisible essential workers who have been working the 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 clerk at at the drug store the clerks at the grocery store the sanitation workers who pick up our garbage they've always been essential but we never really noticed until and, and what's yeah joanne What's even more, I'm sorry, I just get so excited about this. Um, what's even more shocking about that is during that whole time, we still didn't raise wages. No. We still yeah. didn't raise, you know, if we were ever going to raise the minimum wage, how could we say to these people who risked their lives so that we could go to the supermarket they did. that we don't think they deserve Fifteen dollars an hour at a minimum. How is that possible? No, and the Amazon workers—you know—they Christmas brought to you by the Amazon workers who are mistreated and and bullied into not right. unionizing. You know, I went to Bessemer, Alabama, to stand side by side with those workers, as so many of my colleagues across the country did people like Michael Rinder, AKA Killer Mike, an artist and an activist. Senator Sanders went there, Congresswoman Cori Bush, you know, so many others. I hate that I'm even starting to name names, but just to stand in solidarity with those workers only to find that at the end of the day, the brute force of a mega corporation like Amazon beat back those workers and they were too afraid to unionize. And I heard stories similar to some of the stories that you all tell in your book. And, 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 and see, companies like that, they prey on communities where they are the biggest act in town. That it's hard for the political types to stand up and speak out because they don't want to lose that tax revenue. And then the workers there... That's all they have, really. It's like holding a community hostage of people being too afraid to go to the bathroom in the 21st century. Right. This ain't the 19th century, the 18th century. And and, and this facility that I'm referring to in, in Bessemer, Alabama, majority of the workers are African-American and majority of those are black women. But it, it doesn't matter what their ethnicity or, or race is. I'm just I'm just trying to make a point here. Too scared right. to go to the bathroom, surveilled. If they take a break, it's taken from them. Hearing stories about drivers who are too afraid to not make a stop, so they use the bathroom in bottles or or defecate. I mean, just surreal that this is happening in the 21st century. And what makes it even more surreal, I think, is that it's public now, right? It's over social media. People hear about it. 
And we still, that's a systems issue. The fact that we allow that to happen is a policy decision that our country makes, that we allow union busting. You know, we say we don't, but we do. We do. We absolutely do. Colleen, what do you say to people who say, when we say the system, can we put a a, a face to the system? Because the system seems so like the matrix, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about what, what do we mean when we say the system? L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. When we say the system, I think we mean valuing money over human life. I think that we mean it is more important to protect a business than it is to protect the the rights of the workers who make that business profitable. And, uh, you know, as you well know, a lot of that has to do with campaign finance. Oh, yes. We allow campaign finance to get totally out of hand. Citizens United has really made elected officials beholden to people with money to the point where they can't even hear the voices of people in poverty because they don't have time to listen to them. They've got to be going through their phone list. That has to stop. It does. I mean, campaign finance is standing in the way of every other beautiful thing that we want. We have to make it because it's legal in this country to, to bribe politicians. Let's just yes, go. Absolutely. Just newsflash. It's legal yeah. in America to, to bribe politicians. And, you know, I'm part of an organization called American Promise. And the goal is to organize Americans to win the 28th Amendment. Uh, to the Constitution to restore American democracy. And part of restoring American democracy is to overturn Citizens United. It is vitally important. So no matter what people care about, if you care about justice in all of its forms, economic, political, racial, environmental, whatever it is, just fill in the blank. There's always, there's campaign finance reform linked to that. And unless we get that, it, it makes it very hard to be able to turn this system that is controlled by people around yeah so if people are losing hope what do we say to people who find this 
too much, too big of a burden to try to overcome, that they don't believe that we can come together in solidarity from all walks of life and challenge the system to such an extent that it changes. I've got to say that uh, you give me hope. Oh, you really, you really do. No, perfect. I'm not. Thank you. You and all of the progressives who have changed the discussion about what's possible. Because all of my life, it's been like, yeah, you, you're a voter, go to the polls, you can vote for the hot dog, or you can vote for the Frankfurter, you know? And then Bernie Sanders came along and said, hey, a lot of the world is eating salad, why can't we? Yes. And the conversation has expanded. And I'm not saying that we've won it all, you know, I mean, you mentioned Reverend Barber earlier, Reverend Barber and Reverend Jackson got arrested for protesting for voting rights in Washington, D.C. It's like 1968 again. We never yes. had to stop fighting these battles, but we have gotten new footholds that we've never gotten before. So it is time to charge. Yeah, it is. Joanne? Certainly, I echo what Colleen said. I am given so much hope by you and so many other progressive elected officials. But I guess on top of that, what gives me hope is the fact that poverty is not gravity. None of this is gravity. These are not laws of nature. These are decisions we've made. And if enough of us can together decide to change things, it can happen. We've seen it happen. You know, you know, we've seen over, certainly over my lifetime, changes in the way we think about um, sexual orientation, the way we think about marriage, the way we think about all sorts of things, global warming. You know, all of these things have changed. We can change more things. And I think it's really just a matter of not getting not getting bogged down, not letting one failure stop you from trying again. Yeah, that's that's beautifully put. Not letting one failure stop you from trying again. And all the examples that you just enumerated came by people over the course of decades and sometimes generations mm -hmm. continuing to push and continuing to fight until that one moment is sparked. And then that right. change came. I want to go back to something we were kind of alluding to, but I, I want to go deeper into that about how I often phrase it this way. Justice is not a destination. It's a journey. We're on that journey right now. Yeah. And we'll be on that journey when, when all of us are gone. Somebody is going to have to pick up the mantle and continue the journey because it's never guaranteed to last forever. And we do see that when I mean, we brought up the voting. I mean, right now in states all across the country, I think there are almost 400 uh, various pieces of uh, anti-voter legislation in about 47 states. My home state of Ohio is one of the states that this could become a reality for the November election. So there is a connection between Citizens United and doing away with that, getting a constitutional amendment, 28th Amendment to the Constitution. And there's also a connection to how some leaders from one party, this, this is not a partisan statement, Republican, Republican controlled legislatures are the ones that are trying to scale back voting rights. Those two things go together, whether or not the vast majority of working people in this country have access, unfettered access to the ballot box and what we do with campaign finance reform, they go hand in hand. Any any thoughts on that, Colleen? Absolutely. 
you know, that's the thing that we really have to be fighting for now. I mean, together with the PRO Act. <laughs> What's possible policy-wise has definitely expanded. And regressive forces are not blind to that, right? Democracy has gotten out of hand. The will of the people might actually change things. It might bring about a bit of economic justice. So if you care about poverty or climate change or any other issue, you've got to be fighting at your state level to stop horrible bills that end access to the polls for people or make it more difficult. You know, we know that anything that makes it more difficult to vote is especially visited upon poor people and people of color. Because if you've got an hourly job and they tell you you have to spend three hours standing online to vote, you may not be able to afford that. That's right. And that every one of us should care about that. If you care about democracy, if you have an American flag lapel pin and you're not voting for voting rights, you're really conflicted. Well, and I think I would add to that that what's happening is we're actually moving towards a real democracy. And we haven't really had that historically. You know, so many people were not able to vote, first legally and then through all of these other measures. And that what we're pushing for now is a true reflective democracy. I also think that the change in who represents us, like you, for example, Senator Turner, you know, it's a big change having women, having people of color, having people who have different life experiences. That's what's going to change these systems. You know, when we only have wealthy white men making all of our decisions, they just don't, you know, they don't do lots of things that the rest of us do, you know. No, we, get, we get what we have right now, which is pretty sad. I was reading an article that was pointing out that three men, and if it was three women, I would say three women, but three white men uh, control mm -hmm. more wealth than 160 million people combined. I mean, there's something so unseemly about that. It's just very upsetting. It's a group called Patriotic Millionaires. Have you both heard of yeah. them? We've spoken with them. Yeah. Oh my God. God I just, bless them. Yeah. God bless them. I love them so much. And they have a new book out. Erica Payne and Morris Pearl authored the book on behalf of the Patriotic Millionaires. And there is a, there's a graphic in the book and it has a picture of Jeff Bezos. And then it has a, like a continuum. If you can visualize that, I have to, you know, spell it out because uh, people are listening to us. And it basically says, you are closer to the poverty side than you will ever be to being Jeff Bezos. And if we can get more people to get that, then I think more of us would be outraged and up in arms from a social justice standpoint and more willing to join forces with people like uh, the Reverend Barber and other magnificent groups that are out there who are pushing for economic justice for all. I mean, because we started the conversation talking about the whole notion that I too someday could be a multi-million or I too someday could be a billionaire is very much 
wrapped into the psyche of what it means to be mm-hmm. American. But I think if people would just take a step back, even though that's something you may aspire to be, and I think a certain level was at a certain level, these people got a hundred lifetimes worth of wealth. So the wealth is concentrated with so few and the suffering with so many. At some point we got to step up and say, Enough is enough. And this is untenable. But even if people would just sit back and understand that they are closer to their sisters and brothers and family and friends who are of the working, the poor, the working poor and the barely middle class, than they would ever be to a Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett. I just, I mean, it, it just, it, it, it boggles my mind. You know, it's interesting because I think the thing that boggles my mind the most is when we think about health care. Yes. Everybody has had, knows someone personally who has been really badly impacted, if not thrown into bankruptcy, really, really badly financially impacted. Yet somehow we're still having conversations about people who want to keep their good insurance. Nobody has good insurance, right. right? You know, even, so like, right, I have what you would call good insurance. I still pay huge amounts of money. Co-pays, deductibles, premiums. Co-pays, deductibles. And and now they have medications that they're like, well, those just aren't on the formulary. Okay. Well, if my doc, you know, so, but, but that to me is the one that I'm the most surprised by, that we still have this ideal about private insurance, which so clearly is not working for anyone except the companies. You know, we're, all, we're always told that we can't afford to fix it. Jeff Bezos pays $0 in taxes. When Dwight Eisenhower was president, the top marginal tax rate was 90%. You know, Jeff Bezos could still be really, really rich. That's right. And pay some taxes along with his friends. And we could have universal health care in this country. Every mm-hmm. other industrialized nation does it. Yes, they do. And I say that at nauseum. And not only do we pay more, our health outcomes are worse. It's not even like we have better health outcomes. And if you are a a person of color, forget about it. You know, there are communities in, in in my district where two miles up the street, your lifespan is 23 years less. And there are communities like that all over the country. That's not an anomaly that you have people whose very livelihood is in jeopardy just because they were born a certain place. And there's something wrong with that in the wealthiest country on the face of the earth. So I totally, totally agree with you on that. So Medicare for all, uh, increasing the minimum wage, canceling student, all what policies, we're we're naming policies Policies. here that could be changed in a New York Mm -hmm. minute, as they say, and uh, really help to lift people out of poverty. So are you hopeful? And if so, why? And tell people what they can do to help be a part of this magnificent justice journey. And uh, Colleen, we'll start with you and then uh, Joanne, we'll we'll have you bring us on home. You know, I'm hopeful because of these conversations. Ever since we wrote the book, everybody in the world wants to interview us. You know, I mean, I was told 30 years ago, don't write stories about poverty. Nobody wants to hear that. Yes, they do. People are ready now, ready because of what's happened in the political landscape, ready because of how COVID made us all more in touch with our own vulnerability. 
And I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying it's certain, but it's possible. I know it's possible. Yeah. Joanne? So certainly what that also gives me hope, but I'm an optimistic person. And personally, I couldn't get out of bed if I didn't have hope that we could change this. Because otherwise, what are we doing? I believe in humanity. And I believe that in the end, we do care about each other and we do really want the best. And so, you know, I think that when it comes to sort of what can people do, they can do small things or they can do big things. And, you know, so I I run an organization called the National Diaper Bank Network, and that gives me hope. There are 250 or more diaper bankers across the country who spend their days and nights getting diapers to people who can't afford them, who need them. It's so small, right? It's such a basic thing. But what we say is small things impact big things. And so if it's something as small as doing a food dive, doing a diaper drive, but on top of that, take a picture of it and send it to your local elected official so that they know what's important to you when you vote. You know, things like that, I think we all feel so much more empowered when we know that the little things we do matter. Oh yeah, little things do matter. The power of one. And imagine if we can multiply those ones over and over again. Oh my God, Joanne and Colleen, it has been such a pleasure for you to Join us today on Hello Somebody. I'm talking to the authors of the much-needed book. You got to go out and get it. It's called Broken America, Seeing, Understanding, and Ending U.S. Poverty. Please go order this book. Is there a special website that folks can go to? Brokeinamerica.net. Brokeinamerica.net. Go, 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 go get this book have a little neighborhood book club, read it. It also has <laughs> solutions in there. They don't just identify the problem, but it's important because b- before we can solve any problem, we must understand it first, but then they have solutions in there as well. I want you both to know that you are you are God sent in every single way doing this. This is missionary work that you're doing, opening minds and hopefully hearts so that we can move this. What is reality today doesn't have to be the reality tomorrow. Where there is a will, there is a way. Poverty is a policy choice. We can create new policies and make different choices. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Let me do that again. Hello, Somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Got my PrevNAR 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic, and at higher risk, get vaccinated. But but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't give Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine.